Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us on another Sunday or whenever you happen to be listening. We love you when you're listening at any point in time. We don't care as long as you're listening, commenting, and um, enjoying the show and enjoying the conversation and more specifically enjoying the, um, or enjoying the people who are uh, showing up each and every Uh, week to share their expertise and talk about the work that they're doing in and around fatherhood. My guest today, you've heard his voice before, you're going to hear it again, but he's got an exciting project coming up that we're going to talk about. My good friend and brother Kwame Alexander, let me introduce you a little bit to him. He's a poet, he's an educator, he's a producer, he's a number one New York Times best-selling author of 36 books. Um, he's won all kinds of awards, the Coretta Scott King Author Award, the Bennett Hopkins Poetry, a port, yeah, Poetry Award. Um, he's also up for nomination for the UK Carnegie Medal, the Calder, make sure I say this right, Kwame, I was trying yeah. to, Caldecott, right? That's Cal, it, that's it. Caldecott, yeah. the Caldecott yeah. Medal and the Newberry um, Award. I mean, he's just... Every time I talk about Kwame to people, they're like, I never heard, I'm like, never heard, never heard of him. Like, like you under a rock or something? This dude is like the it guy right now in literacy um, and reading and particularly as it relates to children. Man, I'm so proud of you. But here's what he's done, one of his last projects that my son and my nephew are still gushing about, the crossover TV series on Disney Plus, which they, they are starving for more, bro. Like, we need more. We need more. We need more. I'm like, I'm sure he is probably on a beach somewhere right now, like writing on the third season and the fourth season and the fifth season um, and on and on and on and on. But how you doing, brother? I'm good, man. Thank you for that introduction. Wow. I feel special. You're special, man. I was, listen, you, I still, the other day I was going through my, you know how your Apple phone brings up memories? of mm-hmm. pictures yep. and I have a picture in my phone that showed up right after you and I we had met we were in DC for something and you and I were in a bar we were waiting for um, a couple of people to show up and we were just kind of chatting about you know what our goals were mm-hmm. and you were talking about really wanting to do this exactly what mm-hmm. you're doing right now And I believe the next day or the day after the article came out, I believe it was the New York Times, the article came out. And I saw it and I was like, whoa, we was just talking about this. And I took a picture of me sitting on the couch reading your article on the couch and sent it to you. That picture came across my timeline um, the other day. And I was like, man, the journey is uh, incredible, which is where I kind of want to start right now. For those who know you and those who may not know you, talk a little bit about your journey, right? Start where you want to start and end where you want to end with respect to where 
you desire to be and where you are now? Yeah, man. You know, I was having a conversation with my brother who is going through a lot right now. And we may get into this later. He was like, man, you just, you made it. You're so successful. And I just look at you and I just, you know, why can't you just bring me along? Why can't you just hook me up? Why can't you just take care of me? You know? And I was like, you know, Mike, you got to put in the work, man. Like, mm. you got to work. And you you see where I am now. You don't see when when the car got repossessed. I, <laughs> Real cause, talk. Because you don't see when the house was foreclosed. You don't see all the struggle and strife because I had gotten laid off from one of my 23 jobs I've had over the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. You don't see me trying to figure out how to make a living from writing. You see now, but you don't see the 26 years it took to get to now. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of work. It was a lot of struggle. It was a lot of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so, man, I started, you know, Jerry Craft and I often laugh about it, but it's real talk. We started selling books out of our trunk. We were selling, we self-published our own books because nobody wanted to publish them. And we sell them <laughs> books out the trunk. Right. You know, and we, and we, you know, and we, um, we were able to evolve and, and go to the next level and then, you know, sell books at farmer's markets, mm. you know, and I sold books outside of Metro stops. I sold books in churches. Like I sold books wherever I could sell books, right. my books, because I really wanted to be a writer who made a living from his art. I didn't want to, I refused to be what, what we know of as a starving artist. Like I was gonna, I was gonna figure out how to marry the commerce with the creativity. I was gonna figure out how to marry the business with the art. And that took 26 years to get to a point where it actually worked. And I was able to say, okay, I can take care of my family. I can provide, you know, for my parents. I can do some things that I want to do. But it started, you know, in 1994 in Arlington, Virginia with the first book um, that I I printed and sold a thousand, I printed a a thousand copies of it and sold it anywhere and everywhere I could. And it was just a long journey, man. And I loved every minute of it. And I still feel the same way about book number one that I do about book number 39, mm-hmm. which comes out in May. I feel the same way. Like, I still love it. And I still do it for the for the passion. I feel like it's my purpose to, to write words that are going to help young people in particular, but all of us imagine a better world. And uh, the only difference now is yeah, maybe I'm able to I make a little bit more money from it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not I'm not stressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stressed about that. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, it was a journey, bro. Yeah, no, nah, it's good to hear that, man, because I was um, I'm so happy that you and Jerry are connecting because I know his journey as well. Intimately, I know his journey. Um, 
I met Jerry when I was publishing newspapers, bro, in New York. I started this newspaper called What's Up, W-H-A-Z-U-P. And I was looking through something because, you know, it wasn't no Internet back then. We're talking about like 93. That's when I published the first newspaper. And I saw his um, his strip Mama's Boys. And I was like, yo, this is so dope. Um, I need to find this guy. And somehow I found him and him and I got on the phone, started talking to each other. And I was like, yo, I got this newspaper and I know your strip is syndicated. Like, you think I could put that in my newspaper? And he was like, yeah, what, what you need? What do I say? And he just started mailing me his strips. Wow. And I just started publishing them. And that's where our relationship started. So to watch him be where he is today is a joy to watch just as it is to watch your journey. Um, because watching your journeys um, gives me the ability to believe in my own. Mm. Right? I love when you said <laughs> they don't remember me looking out the window, me hearing that mm, 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 of my car going up on the back of the truck to be pulled off because I couldn't pay the car note. Um, they don't see me pulling up and walking up to my house looking for that little bell on the door. I don't know if you remember the little bells and they used to have a light on them. They were lit so you could see them at night. But if you came home and that light wasn't lit, it told you mm. that your lights were off. Mm. Like I can remember walking up to my door hoping, please be on, please be on, please be on, please be on. And some nights I walked up that door and it wasn't on, right? And so when you think about this journey um, in your work, and we're going to get to this book because this is really what we're here to talk about today. And this is your newest project, um, Why Fathers Cry at Night. Um, a memoir of love poems, letters, recipes, and remembrances. And I was talking to my wife last night, and I said, you know, I just have never been a poetry guy. Like, my sense of poetry has always been, if it doesn't rhyme, it ain't a poet. And uh, I'm, the old, I'm the Dr. Seuss dude. Like, that's where my poetry comes from. Right, right. Like, but this dude, like, I was reading the beginning of this, and I was like, he just has a gift of no matter how he writes, writing about it poetically. Mm -hmm. That's a gift that most people don't have. And I was reading to her, I was telling her about how in the book you were talking about um, the blocks, your mother uh, bringing mm -hmm. blocks and playing with the blocks and her believing that you could build the blocks and build the puzzles, but it wasn't about the building of the blocks. It was about the time you spent with her. And then you started talking about how she made stories like the old African folk tales and stories like roll off of her tongue and right. words alive. Kwame, I believe that your work and your gift of doing the same thing through Literature, writing, is your mother's voice activated? Absolutely, man. You know, it's it's really both of them, man. It's it's my mom and my dad because they were both extremely bookish. They were both extremely, you know, into literature. 
I mean, they founded a book publishing company together that they ran together. She did the graphic design, the cover design, edited the text. He did the, the content editing and the, the marketing and the distribution. Like they were very much in the books, but they approached it from two different standpoints. Whereas my father was, go read the dictionary. Whereas my father was, right, sit down and, and, and read my dissertation. This is at a, as a middle school kid. <laughs> Whereas my dad was, look it up. Whereas my dad was sitting in the chair every night reading a book while we were at dinner. Sometimes he'd join us at the dinner table but it was always around, he was always reading a book or, or writing a sermon. It was always words. Whereas it was a job, it often seemed like for my dad, for my mom, it was fun. It was cool. It was like, you know, song and visual melody and, mm -hmm. and just exciting to hear her recite a poem or an African folktale. It was real exciting and engaging with her. So I had this sort of best of both worlds. I had books as punishment and books as reward. Mm. I, had, I had literature as boring and literature as exciting. Like this was my life. And so I like to think that I got the best of both of those worlds. And so I figured out how to create a literature that was as dense and meaningful and hopefully, you know, powerful as some of the texts that my father made me read with a vocabulary that is extremely large mm -hmm. because of him. I married that with, okay, but how can I make it interesting? And something that I would want to read when I was that age, mm -hmm. which I got from my mom. So I think I got it from both of them, man. It's just, I, I appreciate the compliment. And I, I would just say it, it was, I'm activating both of them and both of what I, their legacies. Yeah, that's some good stuff. So now this book comes out May 23rd. Um, let's take a step back. And I'm sure that you probably had moments where you thought about telling your story and thought about marrying your personal story, you know, with your art and hesitated to do that because of the emotion that was attached to it. But tell me about the moment that you finally decided, you know what, I'll take this thing head on and I'm going to write this book and I'm going to put my heart, my feelings, my struggles, my pain on paper so that everybody else can see it and read it and understand me a little deeper. When you say it like that, Kenny, man, if I had thought about it like that, I would not have written it. Because <laughs> you, yo, you, I didn't think about any of that stuff you just said. Look, look, I'm going to be real with you. I set out three, four years ago to write a book of love poems, maybe three years ago. That was mm -hmm. it. I was just going to write some beautiful love poems. So when y'all read it, 
at home, at the, in, in bed. Y'all could be like, oh, honey, this is beautiful. And put the book away. It's on the nightstand. It's something you pick up every now and then. Mm-hmm. And as I start writing it, I start realizing that, oh, these poems are kind of connecting. I feel like I'm telling a story here. Mm. And then and then my editor was like, her name Judy. Judy was like, Kwame, you should really write some prose. You should write a letter or a story to give context okay. to some of these poems. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't thinking what you just said, that heavy stuff you just <laughs> laid on me. I was like, all right, I'll write a, I'll write a letter. And then she's like, why don't you write another piece? That's beautiful. And before you know it, Kenny, I had written a bunch of prose pieces and remembrances and conversations and letters that gave context to the poetry in a way that formed a narrative about my life. And and then I said, okay, this is a memoir. So now let me fill it, let me fill it in. I began to add more stuff to make it more of a memoir. Um, and I began to add the recipes, talking about, you know, I, I wrote a story about my grandmothers and what they taught me about love through their cooking. And I was like, okay, well, let me include some of those recipes that I remember. Um, and, and before you know it, I, I had a complete memoir. And even still, I didn't think about what that meant. I knew that I was going to be buried. I had buried my soul in a way. But I didn't think about the ramifications of it. And only when I got the book and I was looking at it and I started reading it and I read mm-hmm. some of the things that I wrote, mm-hmm. only then did I have that moment where it became sort of a panic, a panicked experience, a panic attack. Oh, I can't publish this book. Wow. I, I just, I, I talked, I, I said too much. I'm the guy who writes stories and makes them up. Mm-hmm. I'm not the guy, I'm not the guy who tells his story. And I've been, I've become extremely vulnerable here and I can't publish this. And I called Judy, I was like, you got to pull the book. And she said, we can't call me, it's too late and it's going to be okay. It's, everybody goes through this and talking to my therapist about it and, you know, she has this thing where she says, people will survive your truth. And it just, so all that heavy stuff you said, I mm-hmm. figured all that out too late. And I think that was a good thing because had I thought about it in advance, I probably wouldn't have written a book. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that writing it has, has, has forced me to finally have to deal with some things in my personality in my life that haven't served me. So I do see it as having been a blessing. Yeah, I was going to ask you because you used to, you know, we've spoken about this before, about the fact that, you know, that you see a therapist. I think all of us should see therapists, somebody to kind of untangle, you know, the webs of our lives and our mind. Mm, right? That's it. Untangle the webs of our lives. That's it. Right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was, how was writing this book after after the fact, looking at it, what were the therapeutic moments for you when you started writing about stories? What kind of made epiphany moments for you because you were able to take it out of your head and put it on paper and see it? There are some things I never talked to my dad about that I, 
that I want to talk to him about. I've never had a, a man-to-man conversation with him. It's always been father to son. This is what you're doing wrong, or this is what I like about you. Or this is, it's never been a man-to-man conversation. I, I crave that. Um, I haven't dealt with the grief of losing my mom. You really haven't dealt with it. Like, dude, have you really even cried? Um, your you you you've lost two marriages. That is that is a slow death. There is some grieving there. What are you going to do different going forward? How are you going to be a better man? You are not as grown as you think you are. You are growing. You are afraid of having hard conversations with people. Mm. You always have been. It does, it hasn't served you. It's time for you to it's time for you to begin to have those conversations. Man, the epiphanies, Kenny. Wow. Bro, here's the thing, Kenny. <laughs> I look I, I was in Puerto Rico with two of my buddies, two of my best friends who we hadn't hung out in 20 years or so, really. We've seen each other every now and then, but these are my best friends. But I sort of hid behind that, oh, I'm busy. I'm on book tour. I'm doing this. I'm doing my life. I love y'all. I'll check with you, but we ain't really hung out. So I finally, in the middle of writing this book or at the end of it, I'm like, yo, let's go to Puerto Rico, my treat. Let's just go hang out for four days, the three of us. They were like, really? Wow. <laughs> these, are my, these are my buddies. These are my fellas. That's one of the things I always envy about. I mean, envy in a positive way. I look, I admire in you, Kenny. I see you on social media. I talk to you. I see you with your, with your fellas. I see you with your men. Who I know lift you up and give you that 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 man that brotherly love and spirit that you need, and I I realized that I had been missing it because I had not been open enough to be able to nurture it. And mm. so we in Puerto Rico, we having dinner, we having a good time, it's feeling good. And I look over at him, Kenny, and I say, "Hey, y'all. So in our friendship, have I had a wall up like?" Would y'all say, have I have I shared with y'all like his friends do? And they and both of them to a man, Kenny laughed at me. <laughs> they were like, they they were like, dude, you've always been surface. Kenny, that was a hard thing to hear and a wake-up call because I don't want to be surface. Mm. But I do realize that I've 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 been emotionally unavailable. There's been a wall up. And so I didn't forget the question, but nah, that, was, that, the was, question. that was one of the things that I, I had to wake up and realize, man, it wasn't serving me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't serving me. And I had to sort of begin that process. Yeah. You know, the of, cool of, thing of, is that, you know, most, most men recognize that. And the reason that they recognize it is because they recognize it in themselves. So they'll never fault you for it, right? They'll never right. fault you for it because, like, yo, dude, we all surface. We all, to some extent, like, emotionally unavailable, right. uh, you know, because for the most part, for men, you know, revealing emotions, you know, is, is, is dangerous. Um, most people will use the term vulnerable now, but that's mm-hmm. not how we see it. You know, we see it as putting stuff out there 
that people will one day hold against us or use against us. Mm. Mm. And that's across the board. You know, that's just not, you know, that. That's just, just that's the dude thing, right? So we recognize it. But, you know, I want to get into really... Kenny, I saw, Kenny, I saw, um, sorry to interrupt. I just got to say this last thing. We, you and I have a mutual friend, a good friend. And I see pictures of him. I used to see pictures of him on social media. He's out fishing with his buddies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm like, this, this dude got time to fish? We working. He needs to be at work. I'm thinking, this is what I'm going through my head. Why ain't he working? Why ain't he doing his thing? It, t- it took me a while to realize that I'm the one losing out. Right. Like, you got to have that time where you're able to, you know, you got to have that barbershop time, Kenny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I've and I been missing that for so long, so... Yeah, well, it's yeah. The, you know, it's the whole iron sharpens iron. You know, you got to be banging up against things that equal you in strength and equal mm-hmm. you in weaknesses um, in order to make you sharper. I mean, I look at my own life, you know, outside. Of, and I, you know, and you can, you know, you can look at my social media and you can see the joys of my life. And when I don't, when I have lows in my life, I share those too. Thank God I don't have a lot of them, as many as I used to. Um, but there are elements of things like friendship, bro, that I still struggle with. Mm-hmm. Right? I still struggle with because, um, and social media has a huge um, play in that only with respect to the way it uses the term friend. Right? Like right. I have someone really, really close in my life um, that is now no longer in my life, you know, because mm-hmm. my friendship our friendship life clashed with my professional life. Wow. But my professional life is responsible for my family life. Mm. Therefore, you can't mess with the professional life. Because you're not respecting my family. Yeah. It's not as easy as I forgive you. It's like, no, there are little mouths and little people that depend on this thing I call work. And it's cool that I'm going back now to your brother, right? Right. The underline is I love you to death, but until you understand the effort that was put into this, which means understanding the value of it, right? of what I have I can't bring you into this space because you're not going to take care of it the way it should be taken care of that's it that's it because you think things just should be handed to you because we're family that's it that's it right and so and then you get the friend thing thrown up in there and it throws things into chaos while at the same time, and I want to talk to you a little bit about this because you shared a little bit about this, which is, you know, I was watching, if you ever get a chance to see um, D. Cole, um, com- the comic, D. Cole. I think it's Dion the- Cole. Yeah, Dion Cole. He did a, a stand-up Kwame not too long ago, and he does this whole stand-up routine, and you're laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. And then he leaves the stage, but then he turns around and comes back. 
And he said, it was on my heart to like, shh, I have to talk to you for a moment. And he starts talking about how he lost his mother. And he had never talked about it, but he was propelled, compelled to speak about it that night on the stage. Literally, the audience stopped in their track, sat down. He spoke for about 10, 15 minutes. But what he talked about, which was the thing that really kind of hit me in a lot of different spaces, was in the midst of you, in the midst of me making you laugh, I'm crashing and you don't know it. You have no idea. Because what you see is me going from city to city to city to city to city, making people laugh, 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 laugh. But you're not seeing the interludes not seeing the things that are between me making art. And what I wanted you to talk about a little bit is talk about those moments in the interludes where things were seriously impacting you, divorce, loss, those kinds of things that you have to overcome physically but still carry emotionally. Yeah, I mean, I can pinpoint the year when everything sort of came to a head. It was 2017. And I was winning a bunch of awards, selling millions of books. I'm in demand as a speaker. Mm -hmm. I got a TV show I sold. Everything professionally, like my career is soaring. My mom passes away. My marriage is falling apart. My oldest kid and I have a disagreement that leads us not to speak to each other for a, a very long period of time. And I am the most unhappiest person. And on and to and to and to on top of that, I ain't talking to nobody. Cause I don't I'm not like I don't talk to people. I I got the wall. Mm-hmm. So I ain't got nobody to talk to. I'm not sleeping at night. I'm getting up. I'm going to, to a school to to speak to 800 kids and I'm performing and I'm in I'm in my element doing my thing. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, Kwame's amazing. I'm posting pictures on social media of me with the kids and everybody thinks everything's great. Meanwhile, I'm, I, I can't sleep. And I'm just, I just don't, I'm just not happy. And I don't know what to do about it. And I'm not talking about any of it. And the first thing that changed for me was writing about it. So I, I, have, I haven't been armed or equipped with the tools to be able to be a vulnerable person verbally, mm-hmm. but, I, but I know how to do it on paper. Mm. Like I, I can write it. So that was the first step. I began to write about it. The second step was to make a decision, uh, a painful decision about our marriage and at least just sort of try to take some um, uh, control or ownership of my destiny 
in that sense, the third step was therapy and trying to be able to reconcile and understand all of it. And so it's been a journey of trying to figure out how to be happy, how to sleep well, how to, how to, how to get to a place where I'm, I'm engaged with my siblings in a way that I haven't been in 20 years, how to get into a place where the friendship between my wife and I is going to be better or at least more evolved than the marriage was. I get to a point where I can reconcile with my oldest daughter. It is. So I wrote a book about all this stuff, <laughs> but I, what I realized, Kenny, here's what I realized. That's just step one. Right. If you really want to be a, become a better person. Now you got to do the work. Right. Like you got to actually put into work all the stuff you said, right. all the stuff you want to know, all the stuff you, you, you want to change. And that's been the hardest thing. And what I realize is that it's just a matter, you know, it's not just a matter, but I've tried to just be very intentional and conscious about making changes. You do, you know, Stephanie, used to say, if you do something 12 times, Kwame, eventually it'll become a habit. And I tell you, man, I have initiated some very hard conversations with people, <laughs> friends and family, that I would have never done. Mm -hmm. So I see myself evolving and getting better, but it's real work. It's hard work. Mm -hmm. And and I, and I want to be a better man. And so I'm committed to that work, Kenny. I'm committed to it in a way that I've never been. And I, I look at it, Kenny, and I say, damn, I'm 54 years old. What took me so long? What the hell? What took me so I feel like I wasted so much time, but I know it, it's not the case. I was growing. I get mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. You got to be equipped. Can't go out there with no knowledge. Can't be ready. You got to be equipped to go out there and do this stuff. And right. so... Um, you know, therein lies, <clears throat> excuse me, why fathers cry at night. Like this conversation, we haven't really talked about the book yet, but we've talked about the whole book. Right, right. So if you get nothing out of this, listeners, that the book is a memoir, but it's a motivator because the motivation comes through stories and connecting with other brothers that are saying to you, I've been there, I've done that. I'm there right now. You don't even understand that I'm crying. And I cried last night in the dark. You think that I wrote the book, I, I stopped crying, and then I wrote the book. No, <laughs> right. I was crying at night while I was writing the book. <laughs> exactly. You know, a friend of mine was like, Kwame, you, you might want to say that in the book. She was like, Kwame, you might want to say that just because you finished the book don't mean that you fixed. <laughs> it means that you are fixing yourself. And so... I ended up writing this piece as the epilogue to, to close out the book. As a father, I certainly have a better understanding and a bit more compassion with regards to not only why certain questions are difficult to ask our fathers, but also why fathers aren't always forthcoming. What I've learned and continue to learn and what I share in this memoir is the realization that fatherhood, much like everything else in life, is often a beautiful mess. There are things in this book I probably should have told my wife before I told the world. There are love notes and petitions to my daughters 
that maybe should have been shared face to face. There are conversations I didn't have with my father before this book was written and while it was being written. Ironically, this book, in a way, forced me to have all those hard talks, and I am so better for it. That's what I want this book to spark, those difficult but necessary conversations that ultimately make us better with our loved ones and with ourselves. Ain't life grand? Yeah. Yeah. You you went that far. I stopped that. I was telling Tracy last night. Uh, I said, Kwame got a list in this book that's freaking poetic. And I'm sitting there reading the list. And to your point, I'm like, now I got a bunch of stuff to do. Because that's how he wrote the list. And it was 10 reasons why fathers cry at night. And I'm only going to give you like three of them. The first one just blew me away. And it's because teenagers don't like park swings or long walks anymore unless you're in the mall. And I was thinking about that. And I was like, man, that's, I got to change, particularly as it relates to my boys. Because oftentimes mm-hmm. we'll do that mindless activity. Right. And so, but you got to find a way to make that mindless activity meaningful. Exactly. That's the work in this. Um, I love number three, which was because school was fine. Her day was fine. And yes, she's fine. So why is she weeping? Right. Right. (laughs) You trying to make that connect and all you getting is, so how you doing? I, every day, every day that I pick the boys up from school, they get in the car. It's like, so how was your day? I well, that's the other one. Fine for right. girls. I right. for boys. Yeah, yeah. Just all right. Yeah, it was all right. Like you've been here like seven <laughs> hours, <laughs> and it's just all right for you. And that's just that's just where they are. That's where this parenting thing is. What do you want people, we kind of talked about the understanding and motivating. Um, what's the ultimate success for you as it relates to this book? Like what is going to make you feel like that was worth every word I put on every page in this book? I think I've already reached that point. I mean, I'm on a path now where I'm on a path of self-discovery that makes me feel more in control of my life. Like I'm not just watching it walk by. Like I'm actually a willing and eager and and engaged participant in my life in a way that wants to, I want to be better. I see that happening. That's a result of me writing the book. My sister said, my youngest sister said, I may not like some of the stuff you said about our family in the book, but Kwame, your book has brought us together. Mm. And, she, and she's right. My, my siblings, me and my two sisters and my brother have, haven't been in the same room for maybe 20 years. Wow. And we've been in the same room three times in the past month. Nice. And it's, and it's, because, it's because I wrote this book. My dad and I have had a couple man-to-man conversations. And when I say man-to-man, it's not necessarily a gender thing. It's an adult-to-adult. It's an adult to adult conversation. We've had a couple of those that were just, you know, just beautiful, man. Stop, so stop, in, stop, stop there for a moment. Uh-huh. Tell me one thing that he said to you that you wish he'd have said to you at 10. 
I don't know if I wish he would have said to me at 10, but I'm glad that he said it to me at 81 because I just it just gave me a a different sort of perspective on him and that he was able to open up because I never saw my dad open up. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he was he wasn't he was that dude. He don't emote. He don't say I love you. <laughs> you know, and so it would have been nice to have heard him say I love you at age 10. I don't remember him saying that to maybe I was 40. But recently he was telling me that after my mom passed like the next week Every day, uh, a new woman in the community would come over with baked goods to his door. <laughs> and he's like, Kwame, they're coming from all directions, you know, black, white, Asian, black, Latino. And I just, I was just touched by that. They're like, oh, my dad still got a heart. He actually, he actually does know how to, like, you know, be engaged with this idea of love. Wow. Like, I just, I just thought that was beautiful, man. I just thought that was beautiful. <laughs> um, so, so I think what, what I want for, for readers, man, my hope is that, you know, memoirs are written because we want to ex- expose, explore, explain our shared experiences. And hopefully in reading about shared experiences, we can understand ourselves and what we're going through a little better and get some insight and maybe some inspiration. And, and maybe some other father doesn't have to go through what I went through at not speaking to my kid mm. and her not speaking to me. Maybe some, some, you know, some father, some, some mother, somebody, when they lose their parent, you know, maybe they can begin to understand and, and deal with their grief in a way that, that it took me years to get to. Maybe somebody gleaned something from this memoir that helps them. Ultimately, man, that's why I write. I really believe whether I'm writing a picture book for four-year-olds called The Undefeated or I'm writing a novel for teenagers called The Door of No Return or I'm writing a memoir for parents, Why Fathers Cry at Night, ultimately, I believe, Kenny, that I can change the world one word at a time. Mm. And I believe, I can, I, I, I believe that. And now, I'm on a journey, Kenny. Change me. Like, it's mm-hmm. happening, Kenny. It's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, and as my friend, as my friend, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to engage more with, with you in particular, because you and I talking right now, mm-hmm. and I, and I want to I want to be engaged with, but I know in order for you to engage with me, I got to engage with you. I got to give you something. Right, but you know what the struggle is, Kwame? The struggle is always, so particularly for men like us, mm-hmm. high achievers, um, goal-oriented, yeah. vision-driven, like, like I can't do enough in the 24 hours ain't enough for me. I need more, I need more, I need more. And I'm going to soak every moment of every minute in this day. Right. So I look across the look across the street and I see you, I want to holler at you, but my respect level for knowing what you do equal to what I'm trying to accomplish on those levels, vision, influence, those kinds of things. I'm not trying to disturb that by talking to you about how 
<laughs> threw me out the house last night, you know, because right, I right. paid the telephone bill. Like, right. it's like he got more things to think about. But I often think about this. I said this to my wife, mommy, a couple of, probably a couple of months ago. And she was just really thrown aback by it. But I was trying to reveal myself in the only way that I could reveal myself talking exactly about what you just said. And I said, Tracy, I said, do you realize that my phone doesn't ring on the weekend? And she said, what? What do you mean by that? I was like, my phone doesn't ring on the weekend. I was like, my phone rings in the weekday because there's always somebody calling me associated with my work. But no one calls me on the weekend associated with my life. And that's hard. My weekend after weekend after weekend. But I'm starting to figure out that the reason that my phone rings is the same reason your phone don't ring. Because I don't call you. (laughs) That's it. It's simple as that. You know? You know, even if I call you, he's like, yo, okay, I'm in the middle of something right now. Holler back at you later. Boom. Cool. Hope everything's right. and you have, at least you touched. At least someone knows you walk away saying, Yo, that was cool. He called me and he wasn't ready, he wasn't calling me about anything. He was just, Hey, what's up with you, man? You good? You, you know, how you know everything going all right? And I myself have also committed to that, to right. being to touching people more, just picking up the phone, particularly my brother, who we almost never talk unless something's going on in the family. Right? right, we're always talking about family drama, but we're not yeah. talking about life. Just hey, what you watch on TV last night? Yeah. Did you see blank? Did you see black? And so I, I will say, just like you said to me, I will say this to you: I am available to you, brother. I, ain't, I don't want nothing. You know, I'm good. God right. has blessed me, as the old saints would say, real uh-huh. good. And so it's just about the brotherhood. That's it. Just about not living this thing we call life alone. Like being able to know that I can pick up the phone and cry at night with someone who understands my tears. And and also, Kenny, and also not just at night, and cry during the day. Right. In the moment, and be exposed in in the in the light, right, right, and doing it in front of my children, right, and letting them know that you know what, yeah, nah. Today, I always say this to when I talk to my dads, and, we, and I always talk about that everybody who asks you how you're doing isn't concerned with how you're doing. Mm. For a lot of people, that question is the habit. Okay, they see you. Hey, how you doing? And often people say, all right, fine, I'm good, or whatever. But the people who care know whether or not that's it, and they're going to dig in a little more. And so we got to find people that's going to start with asking more than just how you're doing. And so my last question for you, before we talk about where people can get the book and all those kinds of good things, because the book comes out May 23rd, which is um, in a few days. So you can find a lot of happiness in all of this stuff you're doing. To me, happiness is fleeing. 
is momentary. Like something can happen. You could be happy now. You can stub your toe in 15 minutes and you ain't so happy no more, right? You change. Joy is not fleeing. Joy is a state of mind. Like what brings you joy in this work? Like what just allows you to sit back and no matter what's happening to you and the world around you, as again, I always go back to the old saints, you can't steal my joy. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you one thing, man. This is this has been a defining moment in my life. And it happened on April the fourth, two thousand twenty-three. I'm in Hollywood for the Hollywood premiere of the crossover TV series on Disney Plus. And it's it's four, four days of just parties and press stuff, interviews and 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 I'm just I mean I'm I'm loving it, bro. I'm just feeling I'm like all this work, this book I started writing in 2008, 15 years later, and we here. And we at the premiere is standing is packed at the Hollywood Athletic Club. The president of Disney, Ayo Davis, comes up to introduce the evening and welcome everyone. And she introduces me. And I had been doing Weight Watchers because I wanted to fit. <laughs> I wanted to fit in this tux, Kenny. Yo, Kenny, the tux was lit. I walked out. I strutted out. I felt good, man. I felt like, yeah, this is my moment. And I and I got there to speak, Kenny. And as I was speaking. I saw my six foot tall daughter in her beautiful red dress sitting next mm. to her mom, sitting next to her mom, who 23 years ago helped me get on this path to figuring out who I was as a businessman. Next to her was my dad. And then I saw my sister and my brother. And it was just this moment that lasted a whole lifetime of just realizing how, how none of this matters without them there. Right. Because every because the only thing that matters in that moment is each one of them and us as a family. And then we get to the after party. And I remember looking over, and this was that moment, Kenny, for me. I look, I remember looking over at the after party. And my oldest sister and my younger sister were dancing on top of a table. <laughs> And my my little brother was dancing beneath them. And I remember looking over thinking, feeling like I felt when we were all kids in the backyard playing. Like, I remember feeling like when my mom was on her deathbed, I told her, I said, Barbara, you can go. I got them. I'll take care of them. Mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember in that moment, in that club, feeling like I kept my word. Wow. Nice. That's yeah. That's that's joy, ladies and gentlemen. That's what joy <laughs> um, looks like. Um, I wanted to talk about this, but we not. We're gonna come back because I got some ideas about how to talk about this next thing. Just as a teaser, I'm going with Kwame to Kenya, y'all, in a few weeks, and so and I plan to bring my podcast equipment with me. And so I don't know where we're going to set it up, how we're going to set it up. I don't know who we're going to interview. I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm going to get it all on, 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 on. 
I'm gonna get all the voice so that we can carve it up and really tell that from a podcast. It might just be a series separate from this or a series outside Ooh, of this. That's but nice. I don't know what we're gonna call it, but I plan on bringing that so we can produce that together and move that. So I'm excited. I about see that. us. I see us sitting outside uh, in Masai Mara, the Serengeti, and giraffes over here, rhinoceros over here. I see us sitting there, like outside, and just and talking. Right. It's right. beautiful, man. I can't wait for the, I can't wait for you to be there. It's beautiful. Yeah. So, hey, tell people how they can find the book, when it's coming yep. out, what you got going on, how they can find out about the tour, what you want them to do, all that great stuff. Why Fathers Cry at Night is the book. It comes out May 23rd. Um, the website is whyfatherscryatnight.com. It's also kwamealexander.com. I'll be in New York, D.C., Philly, Atlanta, Portland, L.A., and Berkeley, California. Um, and the tour schedule is on the website, KwameAlexander.com. Um, I got to make sure I put the Atlanta date on my calendar, too. Oh, gotta yeah, sure yeah, dads, yeah. Got to make sure that my dad show up to that. And so I got to put that on the calendar for the to-do list for them. Uh, we do something, Kwame, called Papa Pop-Up. And we just send something out to them and we say, listen, we just want the dads and their kids to like show up. And we only send it out three days before and we have 50, 60 dads and the kids just show up at places. Oh, wow. So um, that was, I wanted to wait to talk to you before to find out the venue and whether or not it was called anything associated. And if so, we'll do it that way. If not, we were just going to do a pop up and tell them where to go and just have you have a whole bunch of dads and their kids show up that night um, to see you. So. Um, That's what's up. June June the 8th at Inman Church on Edgewood Avenue Northeast in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. So I'll make sure we send you the info. Sounds good. Thank you, everybody, for joining I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. My guest today, Kwame Alexander. Google, Google the brother. You'll find out everything you need to know about him. The book, Why Fathers Cry at Night, comes out May 23rd. Make sure you go to wherever you go to to pick this book up. Um, I actually went, saw it. I was so glad that it was done. I'm an Audible guy. And so I went and pre-ordered it on Audible so I could listen to it in the car as well. And so, Kwame, thank you so much. I love you to death, man. Ain't nothing you could do about it. I love you, brother. Thank you for this. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child... I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period.